by your word and by your spirit. We thank you for it in Jesus' mighty, matchless, and majestic name we pray. And everyone who agreed said, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Good morning, church. How are you this morning? It's awesome to see you. Awesome to be with you this morning. I believe that God is really joining us together in, in, in such a dynamic way. It's such a great time of year to be together and to celebrate Jesus, not just in his birth, but in celebrating his birth, we recognize all that he's done for us and who we are in Christ, where it all began was in uh, really this time that we celebrate this time of year. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, why don't you greet somebody around you? Say this to them. I belong to him. Praise the Lord. And you can be seated. There we go. Once again, I want to welcome you. And uh, if you're visiting with us today, we're so glad that you're here. Pray that something uh, through the worship, fellowship with others, the Word of God, something absolutely changes your life. If you're here, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that revelation comes as to who He is, and that you are able to leave having a surety and a confidence that He is the Lord of your life. Your life has been changed. Your sins have been washed away. And uh, man, now you have a, a covenant partnership with the Creator of the universe. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, you know, in first service as we were singing that song, I was just reminded I'd, I'd really asked Jonathan to sing that song before we minister today. Just it's such a covenant song and remembering really when uh, I first heard that song. I'm not sure how I got it. It was downloaded, but um, uh, some years ago had been, you know, in a, in a position where had lost uh, many loved ones. Uh, you know, uh, because of that, the church had lost many loved ones. Uh, because of that, we had lost some people in the church, um, you know, uh, struggle in different areas. Really, you know, you realize, man, when, when you think that er things have been taken from you, it actually changes who you are, changes how you view your position, things about yourself. So I was in a, in a weird place uh, for me, and uh, you know, I'd, uh, we decided, you know, I was hanging around the house a little bit. We were going to make an office uh, for me in our basement, um, give me a place to work because when I come to the office here, there's people moving around, but our basement is kind of dark and I don't like to work in the dark area, but uh, anyway, I was trying to spend time down there studying and walk around the basement, and so I put my headphones on. Somebody had given me this song. I was in a, a just a, a, an odd place through the loss of things, and and really, you know, it started to speak to me. The enemy can't take what I have. And God started to minister to me, you know, no matter where you are. Uh, the devil can't take what you have if you understand you belong to me. And I started getting that revelation in almost every word of the song. Uh, he can't take it because it belongs to me. And anything that I've given that belongs to him, the devil can't take it. And even some of these loved ones that I thought were taken from me because they belong to him, I'm going to see them again. Can't really take that from me, right? And so we get into times where we think even uh, Christmas season, Tasha and I were talking about this Christmas season. It's not always easy for every single person. But I just want to encourage you, if you say Christmas is bad because I, I had a loss, I had something happen uh, in, in this time of year, the devil can't take what belongs to you. He can't have it because you belong to him. And when you belong to him, he belongs to you. 
And man, I'm just telling you, in that time, when Jesus, just in listening to that song, he says, you belong to me. I thought, man, that just started to turn the ship in every way, that faith that that imparted to me. Like, man, I'm not, I'm not down and out. I'm not going down. We're coming back up because the devil can't have it because I belong to him. It was like the Holy Spirit was wrapping his arms around and saying, I got you. You belong to me. And really, I started meditating on that, and through that process of time, really came to this greater understanding of covenant that we're talking about, and and how important that covenant is, because when you understand the covenant that you have with God, when things happen, He's not afar off somewhere, that He's got you, and He belongs to you, and you belong to Him, and the depth of that covenant, and the depth of who He is, He's the Almighty God. And our questions seem to be, if you're the almighty God, why did this happen? But many times we're disconnected from covenant and we don't understand how it happened. But we walked down a path because we didn't give everything to him. We didn't see that we belong to him and everything that we have belongs to him. The revelation that everything that I have belongs to him. You know, my body belongs to him. My thoughts aren't my thoughts. They belong to him. My emotions aren't my emotions. They belong to him. My body's not my body. It now belongs to him. It was all bought with a price. So if I give him my thoughts, then my thoughts become his thoughts. If I give him my ways, then my thoughts become his, my ways become his ways. My body becomes his body. When we have a revelation of that in the totality of it, that it belongs to him, then healing and deliverance and the decision-making that we make, all those things start to change. The emotion that we have, we're like, this is just the way I am. I'm emotional. And he says, give it to me. Right? Sometimes I get a bad rap because, you know, uh, people get dominated by their feelings. I'm like, it doesn't really matter how you feel. You're like, well, God made us emotional. Sure he did. He made you emotional. But if you'll give it to him, he'll, he'll cause you to emote in the right way. He never created you for your emotions to control you. He created us so obedience to him would guide our path and control us, and emotions would follow that. Right? In our thinking, he said, I, don't, I, I created you with the mind, but your reasoning, I didn't create you for your reasoning to control you. But your ability to capture and process the truth and have revelation of the truth is what would guide you. So when we start to get a revelation, truly, I belong to him. Every single thing about me belongs to him. And yield that to him. Wow. He's God. Just think what he could do with what you put in his hands. But we'll do a consecration and dedication. I belong to you until church is over. (laughs) I belong to you till Wednesday. Wednesday is just a good part. It seems I have a revelation of Wednesday. Wednesday is about when, you know, it starts to wear off if we don't meditate on it. Probably why they start having Wednesday night services. (laughs) Give a shot in the arm about Wednesday to keep you going to the next Sunday. But anyway, it's a powerful part of covenant. I want to remind you real quick uh, um, before we get into the message, next week uh, we're going to receive our missionary offering. 
once again. And uh, man, uh, you know, we can't go everywhere, but uh, we can send people. Some people God's called to go. And so our sending connects us with things around the world. And so uh, uh, just, you know, God put it on our hearts uh, many, many years ago uh, that as the missionaries, as we sent them out from the church and and, you know, I had constant communication with them that this time of year, they're living off of support. I mean, they always have to believe God for support. People will come on, support. Other people will drop off. But, it, you know, it's not, they can't do something. They can't go get an extra job to get Christmas gifts or anything like that because they're there. And so we can support them. And, and uh, you know, everybody would like to have a Christmas bonus. And so I thought, well, if we'd like that, well, let's do unto them as we'd have done unto us. Some people say, well, I didn't get a Christmas bonus. Well, give one and you might get one. Amen. And so uh, that's next week. Pray whatever God puts on your heart. We're not controlling it. We're not trying to pressure you. We're giving you an opportunity to sow into the hearts of these people who have given their life to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And it connects us with people. So praise the Lord. Glad that we get to do that. That'll be next week. And uh, again, uh, our Christmas Eve services in that. Open your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews, the 13th chapter, this is just our foundational uh, text that we want to launch off of. We are talking about uh, covenant connections, and we're talking about covenant connections in three, three areas uh, that we believe, or I believe, uh, and I believe it's going to help us if we'll grasp a hold of it if, in, in any level. I know this is like a huge, we've opened, like cracked a nut open that is, is immense. But if we can grab a little bit for right now, begin to operate in it, put it into action, we're going to see the benefit of it. And we'll grow in it. Many of you will study it out for yourself. You'll grow in it. Uh, we'll return to elements of it. But really the importance is if we understand covenant connection, and we, un- we begin to, at some degree, understand covenant, then all the scriptures that we read will read in a different light. We won't read them strictly with a Western United States freedom mentality. We'll read them with a covenant mentality, which is totally different. Totally different. And so when we can read the scripture, not from a, a, an American standpoint, but from a covenant perspective. Thank God for the country we live in. Thank God for all those things. But I'm just saying as believers, we read the, the, the Bible with a covenant mentality, uh, we begin to open up those things, not with a legalistic mentality, but really the spirit of the covenant that we have and how it brings life to us, it changes everything. And so really we, we see you may open up more, but uh, the importance to me uh, as I was studying this, looking at this uh, again, not to, to belabor it, but we were talking about mindsets. God began to deal with me like the important areas of mindset. You can't have the proper mindset unless you understand you're in covenant with God. Your finances, you can't have, you can have all kinds of planning and all that, but if you don't know that your, your finances belong to him, yeah. right? When you understand that and you realize, wow, he created the heavens and the earth. All the gold and the silver are his. I suppose if I said, what's mine is yours, and what's yours is mine, he could probably prosper me and give me wisdom on how to manage that. But if it's just mine, I'm left to my own resource, my own understanding. Right? So... All that I have belongs to him. So my marriage, there's an important area of our life, mindset. But if we're talking about marriage and it's just about me and, and, and what I thought it would be and my expectations and all that, then we can't have a good marriage. But if we understand covenant and what God designed in marriage, then God wants to bless 
our marriage, and our family. And so we came back to the idea and understanding of covenant in these three areas, our covenant with God, our covenant with our family, our spouse. So, well, I don't have a spouse. Well, well, then he made a covenant with a family for you. You have your natural family, but the church. These three are lined out in, in the Bible. There is the nation of Israel, but we're, again, he made covenant with them. We're the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're looking at that, that covenant through the blood of Jesus, which those who accept him come under. So in all of that, I just want to bring a, a little bit of focus. Maybe it will help you. Maybe it won't. But as I was studying, I thought, well, we have these three covenants and they intermesh together. But if we can kind of put them in an order that we're looking into different things about this covenant. The covenant that we have with God is really the focus is for us through that covenant, how much God loves us. The relationship, how much does God love me? Because many people don't know. They can say God loves me, but they don't know how much. And if they don't absorb how much God loves them, they cannot reciprocate that kind of love. So we love him. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. But we could say that, but we still don't know how to love. But when we experience the love of God, then we can begin to process and reciprocate. So there is, in all of these, there is a reciprocation, but I'm just talking about focal points. So we, we look at that. Then we come to marriage and family. The focus is us loving others. Us loving others. So if I know in my covenant with God how much he loves me, certainly I reciprocate that. But knowing that love, then I find my position and my focus in marriage is not her loving me. My focus in marriage is me loving her. And if her focus is her loving me, now we start to create the bond. But I don't think about in marriage as much about her loving me as I should think about me loving her. In my relationship with God, I'm thinking about God loving me. My relationship with her, I'm thinking about me loving her. And in the church, I'm thinking about loving with. I'm loving with. So often we're looking about, well, I don't know if that person, and the church is so broad, we're wondering, is this person loving? Is this person loving? I don't feel loved. But you're not supposed to be focusing on, are they loving? Am I loving? Together as the body, we love. All right? So hopefully that'll help you just a little bit to say, okay, it's all going on. Certainly we should love each other. I should love Zane. Zane should love me. I should love uh, Justin here. And uh, sorry, I just woke him up. I do love him, but (laughs) I I didn't wake him up. I'm just kidding. He was looking at something. Uh, But really collectively, if we're thinking about how do we join arms together and love a lost and a dying world together, now that covenant means more. I'm not on my own here. It's not about my gift. It's about us joining and linking together. So all of them we link together. They're covenant bonds, but they have some importance and some emphasis as we look at them. Amen. And so Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20, he says this, now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Somebody say the blood of the everlasting covenant. Make you complete in every good work to do his will. So the blood got you out of sin so you could do his will. Well, what's his will? His will is becoming like him. Not living out of a sinful nature, but living out of God nature and becoming that which your nature would produce. 
Amen. To do his will. Sometimes we're, we're thinking that legalistic thing. Oh my God, I got to do his will. His will for your life in the very beginning was to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth, to be like him. So we just come back. The blood of Jesus cut a covenant so we'd be empowered to do his will. Working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever and ever. So when God looks at you, he says, man, sin has dominated your life. That's not well-pleasing. But when he looks down through the blood of the everlasting covenant and he sees you cleansed and able to live out the very life he created you to live out as a son and a daughter with his DNA, with his likeness, with his image, he's well-pleased. So the covenant does that for us. Amen? The covenant does that for us. So we're going to just jump in. We started uh, last week, but we're going to talk about five things, five qualities or five ingredients to every God covenant, to, to these three covenants. So I'll go through the five and then we'll break them down just a little bit. Number one, that they are transcendent. They are transcendent. Number two, they have a chain of command. They have a chain of command. Number three, they have governing guidelines. They have governing guidelines. Number four, they have sanctions. They have sanctions. And number five, they have an inheritance. Or they are generational. They have inheritance or they are generational. So we want to start with number one. And to, to just go back to the definition that we're uh, using about this covenant is a divinely created bond, a divinely created bond. So just in that divinely created bond, then we can understand this first point is that it is transcendent. It's transcendent. So the word from Webster's uh, transcendent means very excellent, very excellent. It means superior or supreme in excellence. It means surpassing others. So in other words, our idea of the relationship and stuff, God's plan is that it surpasses any relationship you could have by natural means because it's a divinely created bond. It has his stamp of approval. It has his anointing. It has his power coupled with it. So it's more excellent than it could ever be. It's most excellent. Praise the Lord. And so it goes on to say it's surpassing others in worth and in value. So these uh, covenant relationships, these covenant connections are very, very valuable. So again, think about it if you understood that they're transcendent, they're, they're surpassing, they're excellent, and surpassing others in value, what would the enemy try to do? He would always try to cause you to devalue them. To devalue, not see the value. Well, how does he do that? Sometimes it's not evident what he does. In other words, he'll try to make you think you're humbly humble by saying you're worth nothing. But that's not humility. That's devaluing the work of the cross. Humility is to say in and of myself, I could do nothing. But because of the blood of Jesus, he's redeemed my life. So on my own, why would I want to be on my own? That has no value. But to be in covenant with him, that's what brings true value 
to my life. So the enemy would try to do that in marriage, break you off, begin to compare yourselves and your gifts with each other. Who's better? Who's worse? Who, who's, who does the most? Who does the least? And so in that process, you begin to devalue the person you're covenanted to or yourself. So then if you devalue that by comparing and, and, and trying to override and have a power struggle, you devalue it, and pretty soon you'll think it's worthless. But God said, no, this covenant of marriage is highly valued, highly valued. So he'll try to come into the church. So well, those people over there, they're not living like they should. I mean, you know, you have these expectations. And, and why would I hang out with them if they believe this and all? You know, he'll just get you to do all kinds of things. Devalue the church. So now it's no more important to you than a baseball game. I like the people who hang out at the football game that I get to hang out and cheer with better than the body of Christ. Well, the people that hang out at the football game ain't going to get you eternal life. And they're not part of the body. So he'd just get you to devalue it, to make sense of devaluing it. But these are God-ordained covenants. They're God-ordained relationships, covenant connections. So they have value in worth. They also are surpassing in valor, in valor. That word value means strength of mind in regard to danger. That which enables a man to encounter danger with firmness. Whoo! So the Bible just tells us, listen man, God's on my side. I won't fear what man will do to me. Man, your covenant with God. It's surpassing in valor. If you understand that, you can boldly say... God is on my side. I'll not fear what man will do to me. Whew. I mean, there's just been times. I'm telling you. You might just think, she's super just sweet and meek. But I'm glad. Sometimes I'm like, man, I'm so glad she's on my side. <laughs> she's on my side. I'm not afraid of what you can do. Praise the Lord. Join together. Where any two agree is touching any one thing that they ask. It'll be done by the Father which is in heaven. Come on, we've gone through some challenges that we thought we weren't on each other's side. That was tough. We realized, whoa, wait a minute. We're on each other's side. We're not fighting against. We're not going different directions. We're on each other's side. I'll tell you what. It makes you stand up a little bit. Whew, there's things in culture, things that would come against us. That if we understood we're all together. We're all together as the body of Christ rising up in the last days. It says the last days will come. There will be a shaking that will take place not only from heaven but from earth. And he said whatever can be shaken will be shaken. But we're called. We're not called to a mountain, a natural mountain. We're called to the mountain of God, to the church of the living God. So that there's a place where what could be shaken won't be shaken. Because we're joined together. Come on, there's a shaking coming on. We find refuge in the body of Christ. The same faith, the like precious faith that God has given to us. That we join together and we stand and we brave, bravely and boldly proclaim. We are the church of the living God. We are the body of Christ. And we have authority to stand against all the power of the enemy. Side by side, arm in arm, the body of Christ. 
Come on, these are covenants that make us strong in valor. They're transcendent. They're God's plan. Therefore, they have to be God-defined. God-defined. Why? Because they're suppressing. They're divine. So turn over to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah 55. So when people say, you know, people's belief in God, they're deconstructing their faith. I was thinking about this one time, and I thought, well, how can you deconstruct something you never constructed properly? Right? So if we didn't build our faith on the foundation of covenant and stuff, well, it's not a wonder, but they didn't really construct a faith in God. So it's really time to start constructing, building on the right foundation so that we have that strength of it. And if we're going to do that, we have to understand that the, the relationship with God and the relationships that he set up are not something that we define ourselves. Well, I'll define who my God is. Well, that's idol worship. Well, I'll define how my marriage should go. Good luck with that. Well, I'll define what I want church to be. Some people define church. Church, my church, my church is me on the mountain. Well, see, you fail to understand the definition of church. You can't have church alone on the mountain. The church is a called out gathering together. I didn't say you can't have a relationship with God by yourself on the mountain. You just can't have church on the mountain. No, I don't like that. I'll have church if I want to. Go ahead. But you can't really define it. You can define it yourself, but you'll move outside of the covering of the covenant. So we have a lot of people in trouble, and they're like, oh, don't tell me. I'll define it the way I want. But you're living outside of the covenant. Why? Because it's divinely created, and it must be divinely defined. Okay, so Isaiah 55, verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord. So you're like, whew, he's not talking about me. If your ways aren't God's ways, they're wicked. If your thoughts aren't God's thoughts, they're not right. So if we just stop and go, all right, God, I know I wasn't supposed to go that way, but I made my own decision, and that's the way I'm going. See, we say, God, I know it's not your way I'm going, but please protect me. (laughs) Come on. I need to be careful, because... We do it. I've done it. I'm going. Hope you're protecting me. And down on the inside, there's that scratchy thing like, yeah, you didn't ask, or you know you shouldn't be down this road. And so you're hoping I'm hanging out and protecting, right? So I know he goes with me wherever I go. I just don't know that there's that covenant protection if I'm in that place of disobedience. So he says, if you're going a way that you know is not my way, Come back to me. If you keep thinking thoughts that are not my thoughts, come back to my thoughts. And if you do, guess what? He said he'll have mercy on you. And to our God, he will will abundantly pardon you. So in other words, he says, if you just acknowledge I was on the wrong path, going the wrong way, I'm coming back. He's like, I got mercy. God, I've been thinking the wrong thoughts. I'm coming back to you. He's like, 
I pardon. Right? Because when you're thinking your own thoughts to him, he says, I beg your pardon. <laughs> when you say, that was wrong, he said, I pardon you. Just kidding. All right, stay with me. All right, this is what he says. He said, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my, my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. How many of you want to think a little bit higher? How many of you want to walk a little bit higher? Come on, we just read that and we're like, well, there you go. God's smarter than me. God has different ways than me. There you go. He says, no, I want you to come to me, and I'm going to lift up your thoughts, and I'm going to lift up your ways into this transcendent place where they're superior, they're higher, they're surpassing, and they're valuable, and they'll give you strength, they'll give you courage. So he says, when you do that, he says, understand this. He says, for, my, for as the rain comes down from heaven, the snow from uh, the snow, the rain comes down in the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread for food. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. Highlight that, underline that. So shall my word be goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void. But it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing that I sent it. So he said, listen, if you'll go ahead and say, I'm not going to think my thoughts, I'm not going to go my way, then God says, my word will come to you, and it will go into your thoughts. It will direct your ways, but it will drop into your heart. And I'll keep speaking it to you. If you'll soften your heart, I'll keep speaking it to you. And that word will start to soften your heart, break up the fallow ground where it's been crusty, and it'll prepare it to receive and take hold of that seed and water it to bring forth 30, 60, and 100 fold. He said, when your life begins to prosper by my word, then you will go out with joy. Whew, that's what he says. You'll go out with joy. You'll be led forth, forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up cypress tree. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name for an everlasting, there's covenant, everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. He said, you might be in a dry place. He said, but if you'll receive my word. It will change the dry desert place into a very productive place. He's telling him, there's a place where I told you to dwell that has become barren and dry, deserty. But my word, my promise to you will come to pass. And if you will receive it, you'll go out with joy. You'll break forth in peace. For us in the New Testament, he said, all of creation, all of creation is groaning and waiting for the manifestations of the sons of God. That if we receive the day and the hour that we live in, the, the command of God, the word of God, and we rise up to be the people that God's called us to be, even the mountains will break forth before us. There will be something that will happen in the environment that we live in. Because the word of God is being manifest and producing what it's set forth to do in the hearts of his people. So he said, listen, my ways are higher than your ways. This is the, the covenant. You have to understand my way about the covenant because it's transcendent. It's my way. It's my design, my define, my definition. Amen. 
So we have a tendency, we see through history, the tendency that gets us off is that we don't think it should be transcendent. We think it should be the way that we think it should be. And we find getting out from covenant is, it, is not a good thing. We should learn. The Bible says we should learn from the examples that were written in the word. So Genesis chapter 3, we'll go right back to the beginning. It says, in the, uh, and the woman said to the serpent, the serpent had just said, what did God say to you? And so she's repeating, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So here's God. God's ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts than our thoughts. God said, the moment you eat of the tree, you will die. And the devil said, the moment you eat of the tree, your eyes will be open. So what's he doing? He's always going to present us with a moment of conflict, a moment that brings decision. Do we trust in God's way? Or do we trust in our own? So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eye, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she made her own decision. I'm paraphrasing. She made her own decision and took of its fruit and ate it. She also gave to her husband with her and he got stupid and ate. <laughs> then the eyes of them both were opened. Not that they became like God, but they realized something just happened. They realized that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. They made themselves coverings. Everything changed. Their eyes weren't open to be like God. Their eyes were open to know that God had left them. The very covering of God that they had on their life had left them. And they ran and made an endeavor to cover themselves. Those things are true today. When you make a decision that you know is wrong, if you've been walking with God, you've been walking in the presence of God, and then you are faced with something, and you, you make a decision, and you know it wasn't right, the moment you do it, the devil talks you into it, talks you into it. It's good, it's good. Nobody will care. Everybody else is doing it. Oh, just do it. It won't matter. You can go for forgiveness later. And you do it. And what happens? All of a sudden, this overwhelming, like, oh my God, what did I do? And then you start trying to backtrack. Thank God for the blood of Jesus, because here, they went and covered themselves. See, God had covered them. They knew they were naked, but they weren't ashamed. They were covered by the glory of God, the presence of God. That was good enough. It wasn't a shame. It wasn't, they weren't ashamed to be vulnerable and totally open before God. They weren't really, they, they seemed uncovered, but they really weren't covered because God had them by his life and his nature. But their eyes were open and they realized God has left me. So they went and made figs, fig uh, uh, clothing. Wow. I always just imagine God, you know, he's like, where are you? Come out, where have you been? And they come walking out finally. He had to be going like, what are you wearing? <laughs> and then we know he was like, that is insufficient. 
You tried hard, but you can never cover yourself. So he had to make coverings for them through slaying innocent animals. Thank God when we have that feeling, all we have to do is stop and turn and say, thank you for the blood of Jesus. And he doesn't just uncover us or cover us. He washes us totally clean. They made that decision. Genesis chapter 4. And in the pro- verse 3, and in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of, uh, of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Now, again, you know, I read this for many years and my mind would always get to like, hmm, hmm. Don't really understand that. Why? Why, God? Why, why, why if Cain was a farmer and, uh, you know, Abel was a sheep herder, why, why didn't Cain's offering measure up? But we begin to see that there was one that had to be of blood. And then if you read a little bit farther, he brings understanding. We don't see it just in reading too quickly. But his countenance had fallen. He was angry because God respected the right offering. So the Lord said to him, why are, you, why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? Now, see, you know, modern terminology, God would say, what are you angry about? Why are you moping around here like this? And we would say, duh, you didn't respect my offering. But God doesn't look that way. He says, well, what's wrong with you? Why are you moping around here? He goes on to say something. If you do what is right... If you do what is right. So in other words, it wasn't like they didn't know and hear, hey God, here I'm bringing you of my sheep. What do you think? And then Cain comes up and goes, hey God, here's the fruit of my harvest. What do you think? It wasn't like that. He knew that he was to bring a blood sacrifice and he didn't want to. He expected God to do it his way. Not respecting the way God said to do it. But you see, this covenant is transcendent. It's God-defined, God's way. We're coming into a culture where we want God to do it our way, but you can't get God's covenant blessing your way. You have to get it God's way. And so we have a lot of people angry at God. Do we not? You ever run into anybody that's angry with God? If you stop the moment... If you have the right relationship, you might give it a try to minister to people. What are you angry about? Well, this is happening for all these people. This is happening. Do you know what's right to do? Well, yeah. Are you doing it? Well, no. I I don't have time. I'm pretty busy. I'm not. But if you just did what was right, don't you think it'd be all right? Same principle. People are angry at God, at Christianity, at other things. But if you delved into it, they want it to be their way. But it's a God covenant. Let's get quiet. I'm not talking about legalism. I'm just talking about God made it. It's a higher way than human thinking. It's a higher covenant. It has higher blessings. The covenant that we have is even better than the old one. It's on better promises with better blessings. Praise the Lord. Now listen to this. 
He said, if you do what is, he said, and if you do not do what is right, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. You should rule over it. So I'm studying this. The Lord said this to me. He said, sin waits at the door of decision. Sin is waiting at the door of decision. Come on, we have decisions all the time. Sin is waiting at the door of decision. Will we decide through our covenant with God and his way? Or will we decide our own way? Sin's waiting right there. He said sin is waiting. But you should make a decision and rule over it. So sin is waiting at the door of decision. The decision to disobey God, do it our way. At that decision, sin comes in and dominates. And eventually destroys. Eventually destroys. James says each one is drawn away by their own desires and enticed. Sin is then conceived that the decision to do it my way. After sin is conceived, it's acted upon. It's given birth to. And when it's full grown, it brings forth death. But at the door of decision where obedience is decided upon, obedience to God's way, then righteousness dominates and it leads to life peace, and blessing. Every single person, it's fair for every single person. We all can say, I'm in covenant with God. He's given me his word. He's given me his word so that I can walk in the blessing I was created to walk in. It may not look like it. I may gravitate to the thing he said not to do because it looks like there's something in that that I'm missing. And we all have FOMO. It started right there in the Garden of Eden. FOMO. The devil said, God doesn't want you to know something. Don't you, aren't you afraid of missing out? We'll do things we otherwise wouldn't do. God's saying not to do. Oh, but I might miss out. I might not know something somebody else would know. So I want to. And we end up places we know we shouldn't be. We end up saying things we know we shouldn't say. We end up doing things we know we shouldn't do because we're in the wrong place at the wrong time thinking the wrong thing. And it was all because we didn't want to miss out on something. Divinely created covenant. Wow. God's so good. God's so good. We see it throughout. Joshua, the seventh chapter, you can read it. They went in to possess the land. And God said, here's my way of possessing the land. I'm going to tell you. You can look at it throughout Scripture. God says, go in, defeat the land, and don't touch the spoil. It's mine. Then he'd take them into another one. He said, defeat the land, and everything's yours. Divide the spoil. So the first victory was not theirs. It was God's. But a man named Achan came on some stuff that looked pretty valuable, and he said, it won't matter. I'll just take it for myself. It'll just be for me and my family. So he takes it. He does his own way. Joshua goes out to fight a lesser city that they should take just like that called Ai. And they get their tail kicked. 
And Joshua comes back and goes, I have no idea what's going on. You told us to possess the land. You told us to go in. And eventually, he had to come to prayer. He realized, I didn't pray. We just went to that battle right after that battle. And God showed him, somebody's disobeyed me. So he calls Achan, and he confronts Achan, and he goes, like, you got to tell me the whole truth, man. What are you doing? He said, well, I saw it. It looked really good, and I put it under my tent. The whole nation was outside of the covenant blessing of God because one person decided he'd do it his way. You think, well, I'll just take a little for myself. It won't bother anybody else. It won't matter to anybody else. We're connected. Don't have stuff under your tent. We're connected. So it doesn't matter. God says it does. Well, I don't think. Well, his thoughts are higher than your thoughts. They're higher than my thoughts. His ways are higher. What difference does it make? I don't see how that makes any difference. That's because your ways are lower than his ways. Because he sees everything connected. He sees it eternally. He sees it generationally. He sees family. He sees the effect on families, even on nations. Wow. Praise the Lord. So number two. We'll just scratch into it, all right? I know you're like, dear God, don't go into that. Number two. Number two. All of them have a chain of command. <laughs> Next week, we're going to go where angels fear to tread. <laughs> chain of command. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. He says, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. Men, write that down. Highlight that. All of you that want to say, oh, I'm the head of my house. Get ready to pay attention. Because you might be the head of your house, but you have a head. And if your head ain't head to you, then you ain't the head of nothing. You get this covenant out of order, it stops pretty fast. So, just that made you think, but now I'll get you to rejoice. And the head of every woman is man. Whew, praise the Lord. We're getting back to that now. Thank you, Pastor, for getting back to that. So, see, I concerned the men by telling them Jesus was their head. Now I've concerned the women. Oh, God, don't make us lose generations of progress. Well, we really haven't progressed, just to tell you. That's what the world's trying to tell you, but look at what's going on. We got a mess because we didn't progress. We really regressed. Did some things need to be tweaked? Yes. But not the way they went. All right. So the head, head of every woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. Wow. So chain of command is important. Now listen, he said, for every word that comes out of my mouth. So I'm just going to give you a little preview, then we're going to dig in. Every word that comes out of my mouth. Jesus continually told them, I don't speak on my own authority. But what the Father has commanded me to speak, that is what I speak. Words are incredibly important. And then he goes and he says about the Holy Spirit. He said the Holy Spirit's going to come, but the Holy Spirit will not speak on his own authority. But what he's seen from me, what he's received from me, he will declare to you. Because everything that I have came from the Father. 
So whatever came to the Father came to me, through me to him, and it's coming to you. And for the family, the husband should say to the wife, come on, just to preview, not, I'm the boss of this thing, obey me. That's tyranny, and God's never really been tyrannical. It actually says the wife should submit to her husband. We're like, yeah, doesn't that mean obey? Okay, you got to break the whole word down. It it means to put yourself in obedience to. So if the husband is making the wife obey, that's tyranny, not submission. The power is in the one, the submitted one. The real power lies in the hands of the one that should submit. We're like, no, that's not true. Oh, yeah, it is. Because you stop the flow of covenant when you don't submit. So if the husband is not submitted to his head, I don't have to do what God says. I can say whatever I want to my wife. He got out of covenant. He broke the chain. Jesus knew that. He said, I can't say I got a better idea for this redemption than God, so I'll speak what I want to speak. He said, no, I have to speak what God spoke to get the power of it to come out. And the Holy Spirit cannot speak whatever he wants to speak because of what he sees. He has to speak what the Father's told me that I've told him. Now, if the husband wants true headship in his home, he has to know the word of God, so he'll say, listen, honey, I'm not speaking on my own authority. Now you have to be a little careful because I'm going to speak to you what God said. Whew, now the power of God is coming. I'm like, now listen, God said we're going to the lake, you obey me. Don't think you find God saying that anywhere. Because that starts to fit in in a whole different category. But if all of a sudden I see somebody go say something to her, look at her, and I see a fence rising up, and I say, okay, listen, can't pick up that offense. Jesus said we can't have anything against anybody. We have to let that go. That's just my role. I say with the Father, I'm not saying that on my own. If she says... Stop it. You don't know what they did to me. I'm not listening to you. Okay. But I did what I was supposed to do. I operated in my headship. If things don't work out, it stopped right there because the power is in the submitted one. The authority comes down. And so with our family, with our children, if we agree and we bring the word of God to them, at some point they'll have to make a choice, but if we do it with purity, there's a process of this chain of command that we like to think we're the boss of something, but if we're not purely bringing this chain of command. So it's so powerful that God had this situation where the centurion, Jesus had this situation, the centurion came to him, Matthew chapter 5, and he came in and he said, my servant is really, really sick. And Jesus, being such a, a lover and a, a willing to see people healed, everybody had come and said, you come, you come, you come. We can't do it. You come, you come. So he said, my servant is dreadfully tormented. He's sick. And Jesus' immediate words were, I'll come. But he said, wait a minute. 
Don't waste your time. You don't have to come. You just speak what? The word. The word. Our positions of chain of command have to do with understanding the power at the word source. Conveyed properly, the same power at the source will be released at the release of the word wherever it flows out. Same power. Same power to do. Jesus was an example of the word that he spoke. The power to live it. So he said, you just speak the word because I get it. I've watched you. There's some higher authority working through you. I've listened. You said you don't speak on your own authority. There's a God in heaven speaking to you. I get it. You just speak the word. My servant will be made whole. And Jesus went, whoa, did you guys hear that? He turned to Peter, James, and John. And they said, hear what? Come on, it's higher than what you're thinking right now. He just tapped into God's thoughts and God's ways, and nobody's paying attention except for Jesus. He said, did you hear that? They said, hear what? Centurion talking about generals and stuff. He said, no, you didn't hear it. That was the sound of faith. I have not found so great a faith, not even in you three, not in all of Israel, the ones who should know, who should understand that when God said it, if it's accurately conveyed, no matter how far down the chain of command, that same word contains the same power to be lived out in somebody's life. If it's conveyed. Every covenant has to have a chain of command because somebody's responsible for carrying the word and the example of it to the next level until it reaches its destination and it's brought out in purity with power. So our words should not be like the game of telephone. We get such a kick out of and then he said, this is what you said, blah, 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 blah. Ha, 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 ha. Is that what you started with? Not anywhere close. disrespect of the chain of command and hearing with clarity. Because it ain't so funny when God says, forgive. What do you say? Well, forgive if you want to. Well, forgive if they don't do anything wrong by you. Forgive if it suits you. What do you say? I don't really need to forgive. Ha ha! That's not what he said. No. You're dying right there. when he says, don't have anything against anybody, you forgive. What do you say? Don't have anything against anybody, you forgive. What do you say? Don't have anything against anybody, you forgive. What do you say? Don't have anything against anybody, you forgive. I forgive you. It releases the power of the resurrected Christ to release somebody from an offense and set them free. 
Why don't you stand up? Just crack the nut on that chain of command. Isn't God good? Father, we thank you. We praise you. We magnify you. You're such a good, good God. Thank you for this covenant that we have, not of our own doing. The covenant that we have through the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. God, that relationship that we have with you that carries through our family, that carries to the church, help us to have a greater wisdom and revelation and understanding of your plan. Knowing it's not our plan. It's transcendent in the way that it operates. It's superior. It's excellent. Superior in operation and worth and valor. We might stand boldly and courageously to live it out with you. Thank you for showing us the power of the order that you've set forth. Thank you for utterance. Thank you for ears to hear. As you meet every single person, Holy Spirit, where they are right now in their own life, help them where there's been hurts, wounds, fear, because of things that were done wrong, things that were done on a lower level that created destruction and hurt and harm. Help us to not be afraid of rising up, allowing you to show us a higher way, a safer way, a better way, a stronger way. And the covenant relationships that you've created for us. We thank you for it, Holy Spirit. Thank you for the strength of it, the process of it, the purity of it, the love of it. Thank you. So appreciate you. So appreciate you showing us some necessary things as we move into our future. In Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hope you got something out of that. If you need prayer for anything, the altar workers will be up here to pray with you. Healing, freedom, deliverance. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's where it all begins. Say, I'm lacking something in my life. I've gone to church all my life, but never really taken that step to say, Jesus, I turn it all over to you. Come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. They'll take hands together with you. They'll pray with you. You can leave here today knowing your sins are forgiven. Jesus is your Lord and Savior. You have a relationship with your Creator through the blood of Jesus. Amen? So they'll be up here to help you. We appreciate you so much. Say this we go. What God did in Christ Jesus... Far exceeds any damage done to me by Adam's fall. You can be dismissed. Make it a great day.